Welcome to The God Solution, where we discuss answers to humanity's questions about God and God's answers for humanity's questions. I'm Nate Herbst. And I'm Justin Wynn. And we are so glad that you're tuned in for the third part of our interview with Dr. Frank Turek. Well, Dr. Turek is the president of crossexamined.org. He's written numerous books, including I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, Correct, Not Politically Correct, Legislating Morality, and Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. He is also featured on a weekly TV show called I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, which airs every Wednesday on DirecTV on channel 378 at 7 p.m. and 11 p.m. You can also check out his column at townhall.com. You can find out more about him at crossexamined, with a D, crossexamined.org. And you can get his books at Amazon or wherever you buy books. Again, I'm so glad that you're listening this morning. If you missed last week's interview, you can get it at godsolutionshow.com. Without further ado, here's the third part of our interview with Dr. Turek. So why do atheists need God to make their case? Yeah, that's the subject of the new book called Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. Because they're borrowing, well, stealing is the word I use, they're stealing immaterial realities that wouldn't exist unless God existed when they try and say God doesn't exist. And the book is oriented around an acronym, CRIME, C-R-I-M-E-S, and each letter stands for a different aspect of reality that atheists say points to atheism when, in fact, none of the things would exist unless God existed. So the C, causality, the R, reason, the I, information and intentionality, the M, morality, the E, evil, the S, science. These are all things that atheists say, oh, yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're on our side. No, they're not. None of those things would exist unless God existed. So how does the law of causality hurt the atheist's case? Well, here's what the, what the law of causality is, obviously. It, it shows that every effect has a cause, everything that comes to be has a cause, and atheists are fond of using the law of causality, as we all are, to find cause and effect in the universe. And what atheists tend to do is they try and use cause and effect when they think it points to atheism, like they, as we mentioned earlier, they, they think evolution somehow points away from God, which, of course, it doesn't. It somehow disproves God, but even if it's true, it doesn't. But let's just let's just mention what they tend to do they they try and say that evolution the cause and effect we learn and we we, we learn that evolution is true according to them that somehow god doesn't exist but the second cause and effect points to theism like with the big bang that space matter and time had a beginning suddenly they begin to doubt the law of causality <laughs> like lawrence krauss does this he's an atheist and a physicist who tries to come up with a, a creative way of getting rid of the need for God by doubting the law of causality. Well, look, if you begin to doubt the law of causality, you might as well doubt all science, because science is built on the law of causality. In fact, you can't do science unless every effect has a cause. Uh, that's what you're doing when you're doing science. You're trying to discover what particular cause caused a particular effect. So... Atheists steal the law of causality, which, by the way, works because God is a God of order and cause and effect works. I mean, if, if nature was random and things didn't have causes, if it wasn't orderly, then we couldn't do science. The very fact that we can do science is because nature is orderly and cause and effect work. So they, they can't explain why there's a law of, law of causality, but they use it to try and disprove God. Are reason and religion in conflict? The atheist would definitely claim that. Is that the case? No, reason and atheism are in conflict. Why? 
because reason, let's just uh, take the laws of logic. They're immaterial realities. We're using them right now to communicate. Our listeners are using them to understand what we're saying. They're not made of molecules. Yet atheists say everything's made of molecules. Well, they're using the laws of logic. They're using immaterial realities to say the immaterial doesn't exist. So right there, the laws we're using to reason defeat atheism right there. If atheism is defined as everything's molecules in motion, and that's what most atheists believe today, that they're materialists. Secondly, if every thought in my head is the result of a previous natural cause over which I have no control, then why should I believe anything I think, including the thought that atheism is true or evolution is true or any atheist idea? I shouldn't. The very reason that we can reason is because there's a source of reason, and that source of reason is immaterial. It's not made of molecules. There's a difference between our brains and our minds. If our brains are, are our minds and there's no distinction, then every thought, again, we have is the result of a previous natural cause over which we have no control. We shouldn't believe anything. But the theistic worldview makes sense, that we're a composite, that we're a body and a soul, that we have not just a brain but a mind. And so we have free will. We can reason to a rational conclusion. Atheists deny all that. They deny free will. They deny a mind. They deny that there are immaterial realities. Well, all those things are necessary to make a case of any kind. So, ironically, the atheists who say they're all about reason make, it, make reason impossible by their materialistic worldview. What about information and intentionality? Well, that's chapter three of the book, and that deals with the fact, of what we talked about earlier, that if there's information out there, there must be a mind. You know, the genome, the 3.5 billion letter genetic genome, or 3.5 billion letter genome that is in every one of your 40 trillion cells, points back to intelligence. And that information is positive evidence for an intelligent being, where it's not just a God of the gaps issue. And then the intentionality part is this. Uh, intentionality shows that we can intend to go in a given direction as, as human beings. Well, not only do minds experience intentionality, uh, like if I ask you where you're from, you say, well, I'm from Durango, Colorado. Well, you intended to answer that question properly. Or I say, where are you going after the radio show? Hey, we're going out to lunch. We're intending to go down to such and such a restaurant. Well, a mind can intend. A brain can't. A brain is just a collection of, uh, of molecules. But a mind can go in a different direction. Well, not only are minds have intentionality, but the mind that runs the universe has intentionality. Why? Well, think about there's many things in, in nature that that have goal-directedness behind them. Like, for example, why does an acorn always become an oak tree? Why doesn't it become an elm tree? Or why doesn't it become a seahorse or a starfish? Because it's programmed to become an oak tree. There's goal-directedness behind it. Well, is that acorn conscious? Does it have a mind? No. Well, how does it know to become an oak tree? Because there's an external intellect directing it to become an oak tree and not an elm tree or a starfish or a seahorse. We see this everywhere in nature, whether something's conscious or not. As we're sitting here right now talking about these issues, we're making 4 million new red blood cells every couple of seconds. Are you thinking about that? Are you going, hey, i got to make new, new more red blood cells? No, you're not thinking about that. How's it happening then? Because there's an external intellect directing them toward an end. 
You see, wherever there's direction, there must be intellect, a consistent direction. In fact, you know, they've done, developmental biologists have done experiments on fruit fly embryos where they try and divert a fruit fly embryo early on in the embryonic stage. And you know what happens every time they try and divert a fruit fly embryo? They get one of three possible results. Well, first of all, the fruit fly embryo makes heroic efforts to get back on track to become a fruit fly. And they get one of three possible results. They get a normal fruit fly, they get a dead fruit fly, or they get a mutant fruit fly. They don't even get a horse fly, much less a horse. Why? Because the fruit fly embryo is directed to become a fruit fly. It's programmed. Why? Because there's a programmer. There's an external intellect doing that, and it's not the fruit fly itself. It's something beyond it. That's what we mean by God. Are there moral absolutes? And if so, what does that tell us about God? Nope. <laughs> of course there are. <laughs> well, there's a whole chapter on this, but briefly, if there's one thing morally wrong out there, like it's wrong to torture babies for fun, or it's wrong to murder six million people in a holocaust, then there has to be a God. Why? Because if there is no God, if everything's a matter of opinion, if there's no standard beyond humanity, then who's to say torturing babies for fun is wrong or murdering six million Jews is wrong? It's just your opinion against Hitler's opinion. Well, we all understand certain things are really right and other things are really wrong. If that's the case, then God must exist. If there really is a standard, then the standard is God's nature. And that's what we mean by God. God is the standard of good. So any deviation from him is evil. Absolutely. Okay, so most people have come face-to-face -face with a nagging question. If God really is all-powerful and if he really is good, then why do I see evil and pain and suffering around me? How could God allow that? If he's all-powerful and if he's all-good, why wouldn't he eliminate that? And there are good answers to that question. What would you say to somebody asking that question this morning? Well, first of all, anybody that says there's too much evil in the world has just proven God. Exactly. Because there'd be no such thing as evil unless there were good, and there'd be no such thing as good unless God existed. Uh, so evil is not an argument against God. Evil is a backhanded argument for God, because there'd be no such thing as evil unless good existed, and good wouldn't exist unless God existed. In, in other words, the shadows prove the sunshine. In order to have shadows, you have to have sunshine. In other words, in order to have evil, you have to have good. Oh, you can have sunshine without shadows. You can have good without evil. But you can't have evil without good. You can't have shadows without sunshine. So if evil exists, and we all know it does, then God exists because he's the standard of good, which makes evil even possible. Now, why does God allow evil? Well, he allows it for free will. If we don't have free will, we can't love. But free will gives us the opportunity to do evil as well. I cover a lot of the reasons in the new book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. And, uh, you know, a lot of it has to do with soul building. A lot of it has to do with the fact that um, we only grow when we go through difficulty, and if we're going to become more like Jesus, then in our fallen state, we have to experience difficulty. I mean, if you got everything you wanted every time, you'd become even more spoiled than you already are. I know I would. So we need some difficulty. And even in situations where we, we have no idea why God would allow a particular evil, you know, we don't see any good coming from it. We know that God can bring good from it, even if we can't see it. I mean... We might not know why a particular evil occurs, but we know why we don't why because we don't know why because we're finite and God is infinite. God can see the end from the beginning, and the ripple effect, which says that every event in this world 
ripples forward into the future to affect trillions of other events. And we might not say a baby dies today. We go, oh, I can't see why God would allow that to happen. Well, he allows it to happen. We might not see why in our lifetime or what good comes from it in our lifetime, but suppose that baby dying creates a ripple effect through the future, which ultimately causes, a, at least partially, a great evangelist to arise who saves millions of people by his preaching. He never would have been here if that baby hadn't had died. Uh, now, we can't trace all those cause and effect situations, but we know that theoretically this is what can happen. It's called the ripple effect. And even this is even pointed out in the uh, Old Testament when Joseph and his brothers sell Joseph into slavery, and later Joseph is in a position to help them when they come to Egypt for the land, or for the, because of the famine, they come to Egypt, and Joseph says to his brothers when he's now in a position to help them, he says, what you did, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good, the saving of many lives, which is now being done. So yes, the brothers meant evil, but God can bring good from it, and God can bring good from any evil, even if we can't see why at this point. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to The God Solution, 91.9 and 93.9 FM in Durango and KDUR.org online. Thanks for listening. And you kind of already talked about this previously, but evil really does disprove atheism, correct? I mean, you can't have objective laws in the universe without there being a lawgiver and enforcer. I I mean, I think it goes to the moral absolutes that Justin just mentioned, but it goes to natural laws, mathematical laws, logical laws, without a lawgiver and enforcer, such laws wouldn't be possible, correct? Yeah, in fact, that's what I spend a lot of time talking about in Stealing from God. Yeah, in each of those chapters, laws do come from lawgivers, and evil, of course, wouldn't exist unless good existed, and good wouldn't exist unless God existed. So as I said before, evil is actually a backhanded argument for God, not an argument against God. Does science disprove God? To say that science can disprove God is like saying a mechanic can disprove the existence of Henry Ford. That's ridiculous. Science, according to the atheist, is all about cause and effect inside the universe. Well, if that's the case, how could cause and effect inside the universe, a process to discover cause and effect inside the universe, tell us anything about what goes on outside the universe? It can't. But secondly, let me go back to this Henry Ford thing. John Lennox has a a great question he asks his uh, students. He says, imagine there's a Model T in front of you, a Ford motor car. I'm going to give you two possible explanations for this Model T. Henry Ford or the laws of internal combustion. Pick one. And they all go, well, look, you need both. Absolutely, you need both. You need Henry Ford to create the car, and then you need the laws of internal combustion to allow the car to operate. And you can spend now till doomsday discovering what goes on in that car, in that engine, how it works, how it operates. That will never disprove the idea that you need a creator for that car. And what's so often forgotten is that scientists are tinkering with the engine of the universe you know, these natural forces that we call natural laws that combine into natural laws. And they're learning more and more about how natural laws work. But that will never get rid of the need for a creator of those natural laws or the creator of the universe itself. So you'll never get rid of the need for God by just studying the universe. In fact, the more you study the universe, the more you should learn about God. Because God is the creator and sustainer of the universe. 
I'm glad you mentioned Lennox on that. For our listeners, I would encourage you to read God's Undertaker, Does Science Bury God by Dr. Lennox from Oxford. And uh, stay tuned. We've been working on trying to set up an interview with him for a few years now and definitely hoping that he'll be on soon. But no promises, but, but stay tuned. All right. You eloquently explained some of the backwards thinking of atheism on Stealing from God, pages 213 through 215. I loved how you illustrated the insanity of atheism. Would you mind recapping that for us? Yeah, I don't know how much sense it'll make without reading the book, but uh, a few of them might. Like, for example, I mentioned the law of causality, that Lawrence Krauss isn't certain about it. So he says, the law of causality is not certain, except for theories that seem to affirm atheism. And atheists say, only material things exist, and I'm saying uh, that they're using these immaterial things, like he says only material, or atheists will say only material things exist, and I say except for the laws of logic and my immaterial mind that I use to come to that conclusion. Lawrence Krauss and other atheists, as I mentioned earlier, says everything has a physical cause, except my own thoughts and theories about atheism. I don't think they have a physical cause. Uh, they say God can't be eternal. Everything needs a cause, except the universe. It can be eternal. <laughs> Uh, they say, we don't believe in anything we can't see, hear, touch, taste, or smell, except the multiverse, which we can't see, hear, touch, taste, or smell. Uh, there's many more of these in here. They say there is no evil, except when I try to use evil to disprove God. They say God is evil. Oops, I forgot there is no evil. Uh, one of the ones that uh, is interesting to me is atheists get all over the God of the Old Testament because he apparently kills children. Now, you have to read the context of those passages to see what that's talking about, which I cover in Stealing from God. So they say God has no right to kill children. But they have a right to kill children. Why? Because they almost invariably believe in abortion. So they believe that when God plays God, he's immoral. But when they play God, they're exercising their moral rights. And there's many more of these in the book. The book's called Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. One that I loved was when you said there is no evidence for God, except all that evidence you keep bringing up that I've ruled inadmissible. I yeah, think this the one, have ruled inadmissible. <laughs> yeah. guess, this is hilarious. You know, we have evidence from science and philosophy and logic that the whole universe began to exist a finite time to go. How that doesn't lead to the necessity of a creator, I have no idea. But there you have it. And you can go down that road all you want, the evidence for the resurrection I have yet to hear an atheist actually deal with that in an intellectual way. I mean, Ehrman comes out and comes up with the most ridiculous excuses for the evidence for the resurrection I've ever heard. He's on a new one this year. And it, it's just it's laughable how they treat real evidence and then turn around and say there's no evidence. And I loved how you described that. Yeah, they uh, they're. Their strength is not consistency. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> so, yeah, they're inconsistent. Why should we trust the Bible? Well, there's a number of reasons for it. In both books, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist and stealing from God. We point out that there are four questions you need to answer in the affirmative to show that Christianity is true. Does truth exist? Does God exist? Are miracles possible? Is the New Testament reliable? You have to deal with the does truth exist question, because in today's day of relativism and postmodernism, people deny there's truth. But if someone would ever say there is no truth, what question would you ask them? You know, and say, hey, 
Is that true? <laughs> is it true that there is no truth? Look, it's self-defeating to say there's no truth. Of course there's truth. You know, if there's no truth, then any book written by an atheist can't be true. Of course there's truth. Uh, it, I mean, if atheism were true, it would be true, but it's not. But anyway, um, you have to ask that question uh, first. Does truth exist? Second question, does God exist? And in both books, we go into a lot of detail as to why God exists. One reason we know exists is what I talked about earlier was that space, matter, and time had a beginning. So whatever caused space, matter, and time must be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, personal, and intelligent to create the universe as it has. So that leads us, so God does exist. Now, we don't know it's the God of the Bible yet, but a God, a theistic God. The third question is, are miracles possible? Obviously, the Bible can't be true if miracles are not possible. But the greatest miracle in the Bible has already occurred, and we have scientific evidence for it. It's not the resurrection. The greatest miracle in the Bible is the first verse, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. If that verse is true, every other verse is at least possible. We have good evidence that the first verse of the Bible is true, that space, matter, and time had a beginning. Well, then, if that's true, then every other miracle in the Bible is at least possible. I mean, if God can do the greatest miracle, create the whole show out of nothing, then he can do whatever he wants that's not logically impossible inside the universe. Of course he can walk on water. He made water. Of course he can part the Red Sea. He made the Red Sea. Of course he can raise Jesus from the dead. He's the author and giver of life. These are easy. He can even do the Jonah miracle. That's so easy for God to create the universe out of nothing. In fact, when people say, I don't believe in miracles, they say, hey, look around. You're living in one. Yeah, no doubt. The universe is a miracle. Then the fourth question, is the New Testament reliable? As I mentioned earlier, there's a lot of good evidence that they're telling the truth. There's early testimony, eyewitness testimony, embarrassing testimony, excruciating testimony that deals with the fact that they died for it. There's even expected testimony. Old Testament prophecy points to uh, Messiah. And then uh, there's also extra-biblical testimony. There's testimony from extra-biblical sources like Josephus, Tacitus, Suetonius, Thallus, Phlegon, that give us little little pieces of information about Jesus and Christianity. And when you piece all of their references together, you get a story congruent with the New Testament. So does truth exist? Yes. Does God exist? Yes. Are miracles possible? Of course. The greatest one's already occurred. Is the New Testament reliable? Yeah, it appears to be. Then the whole Bible is true because Jesus is in the New Testament. And whatever, if he's God, as the New Testament claims he is, he proves so by the resurrection, then whatever God teaches is true. Jesus taught the entire Old Testament is the word of God, so if the New Testament's reliable, you get the Old Testament thrown in. So would you be willing to summarize the main message of the Bible for us? Well, if you had to put it in one word, I think it would be redemption. Because you have paradise lost in Genesis, paradise regained in Revelation. Everything in between is the story of redemption, where God creates the universe and he creates creatures in his image in the sense that we have mind, emotion, and will. That's what it means to be made in the image of God. Yet we sin against God. And so now we're apart from him. We're estranged from him because he's a totally just being, so he can't allow sin to go unpunished. But instead of punishing us for eternity because of our sins, he steps in. And the Old Testament is basically the story of the bloodline of the Messiah, how the Messiah got here. And then when Jesus shows up, he comes, and since he's 100% God and 100% man, he has two natures, a divine nature and a human nature, he can bridge the gap between divinity and humanity. And he lives the perfect human life in our place, but takes punishment for us. He's the innocent being that doesn't need any punishment or doesn't 
deserve any punishment because he's perfect. So he takes our punishment on himself, and by trusting in him and what he's done for us, then we don't have to be punished because God is still just because he punishes sin. He just doesn't punish the sinner because he's punished Christ himself. So the story is redemption, and we can have the benefits of that redemption by just trusting in him, by just taking the free gift. Now, we don't have to, and God will respect our choices if we don't. God won't force you into heaven against your will. If you don't want God now, you're not going to want him in eternity. So God allows us to either choose him or to reject him. And hopefully people will choose him. It's free. Why wouldn't you? Where can our listeners find more about you? Crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. That's our website. Uh, our books are there. Our DVDs are there. We have a TV show on DirecTV every Wednesday night out there in Colorado. It would be on at, like, let's see, it would be on at 7 and, uh, like, 11 on DirecTV channel 378. And then uh, we have a radio program once a week. They can uh, listen to that easily by getting our app, the Cross-Examined app, two words at the App Store. It has all of our podcasts on it, and it is uh, has a quick answer section on there, which is very helpful if you're having a discussion with somebody and they say something that you think isn't true but you're not quite sure how to answer it. You just go to the quick answer section and... Uh, chances are we'll have an answer or at least a question to ask back of somebody who has a question who brings the objection up. So go to crossexamine.org and see more about that there. Check out TV, radio, and the app, and that should be enough. <laughs> so I, my wife and I don't watch TV. We have iTunes and stuff like that, but we don't watch TV. And I've seen you on YouTube and all that, but not on your TV show. The other day, actually well, it was yesterday, I was talking to my father-in-law. And my father-in-law is just, he just brings this up out of the blue. He says, we heard the most amazing thing the other night. And he goes, this guy had the best answer, blah, blah, blah. He's going on and on and on. This guy was so awesome. It was uh, it was uh, Frank Turek. <laughs> and I oh, told him, well, I'm going to be interviewing him this week. He just about fell over. It was funny. But it was neat that he brought you up this this very week. Well, he, I think was, we were probably talking about the Old Testament, New Testament God. Are they different and all that? Yeah, it may have been that show. But you don't have to watch TV. You can watch our TV show on the Internet. So if you go to crossexamine.org at 7 p.m. or 11 p.m. on Wednesday night and click on TV show, the TV show is streamed live. And people can also get DVDs of the show at our website as well. So you don't have to have DirecTV to watch it. <laughs> that is good to know. Is there anything else you'd like to say? Uh, I would like to say that you guys are in Durango, right? Yeah. Right up the road from you, I don't know how far, up 25, but Summit Ministries is in Manitou Springs. How far is Colorado Springs from you? It's about five hours. That far. It's a ways. But it's still worth going to because in the summer there's a two-week class. There's seven of seven different two-week sessions where you can send your young person to get Christian worldview and apologetics. I'm one of the instructors there. There's many others as well, and it's a great place to go. A two-week life-changing program, summit.org. If you can't remember that, you can go to crossexamine.org. We're linked to them, but it's a great place to go in the summer. Equip your young person before they go to college to be able to deal with all the nonsense they're going to be fed at college, and Summit is a place they can do that. You can learn more about it at crossexamine.org if you can't remember summit.org. Um, so we do a lot of that kind of work out there. We're also doing a new program 
uh, called the Cross-Examined College Prep Class. Uh, it's before you go to college. It's a one-day class that gives you the basics. We're coming to major churches around the country for that. But go to crossexamined.org for more on that. That's cross-examined with a D on the end of it. Dr. Turk, it was a pleasure having you on the show today. And I'm just so thankful for all that you're doing to share the evidence for faith in Jesus with those that you encounter. Well, thanks so much. And uh, we do a lot of college campuses as well. So any college kids out there that want to have us on campus, go to crossexamine.org and uh, figure out how to bring us out, and we'd love to do it. <laughs> Dr. Turk, thank you so much. For all right, thanks a lot. God bless, guys. See you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the show this morning. Jesus really did die on the cross for your sins and mine, and the evidence tells us that we can truly put our trust in him with confidence that he really is who he says he is and that he can offer what he says he can offer. If you want to put your faith in him this morning, you could do that through prayer, saying, Jesus, I believe you are who you say you are, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again to give me new life. I ask you to come into my life to be my Savior and my Lord. I hope that you'll take that step this morning, if you haven't already. I also hope that you'll go to GodSolutionShow.com and check out the list of local churches there and visit one this morning. Remember, an open mind, honest heart, humble disposition, and diligent search always lead to Jesus. Thanks so much for listening. Have a wonderful Sunday afternoon.